0: Well, good morning again, everybody. So glad that you could join us digitally, virtually, online, whatever you call it, on Facebook or YouTube. Hey, thanks so much for making the late, week, late in the week pivot with us. If you saw the video that I made, uh, we had just decided that this was the best thing for us to do, to push pause on having our large gatherings for this week and next week, uh, just to keep our community safe, to keep each other safe. So thanks so much for rolling with the punches, and I'm so glad that we could still gather uh, together this morning, even though it's through a screen. Uh, Well, if you haven't met, my name is Joel Larison. I'm the lead pastor here at Bridgeway, and we actually started this church uh, at the uh, fall of 2019, and we had our very first real service here the week before uh, COVID shut down the world. So we are a new church, and one of the things that I've dreamed of since uh, Bridgeway was just some notes on a napkin at Starbucks was that we would be known as a community of faith that was outrageously, ridiculously generous to our world. We think that Jesus was so generous to us, for us to follow him, we need to shadow that, to imitate that to our world. And so one of the things that we're thinking as we're like starting our first year, having our traditions that we're going to have every single year going, uh, we're going to do a year-end offering, uh, an extravaganza of generosity, if you will, uh, at the end of every year. And we're calling it. We'll put this up on the screens. This is Give Hope. I'm calling it Give Hope 2020 because can I get an amen? Like even if you're in the chat, like 2020, we need some hope, right? And so that's what we're doing. Uh, And so our hope is that we would this year all pull together as we're plotting and planning all the gifts that we give our family members and those that we love, that we would plan a a gift that we can give Jesus in his mission through Bridgeway through the Give Hope offering, And the goal is to just bless some people's socks off. So I want to tell you a little bit about it, where the resources are going to go this year. 100% of the resources are going to go to these five things. The first thing that we're going to hopefully do, uh, we've told you about Valley of Grace, which is a 90-day rehab center, faith-based, that's starting here in 2021. We want to help fund the first three people that go through this process. So we want to make sure that finances is no uh, hindrance for them to go through Valley of Grace. Of Grace. And so the first three people in our community that go through Valley of Grace, we want Bridgeway to bless them and to let them go through this 90-day program to get healing on the other side. Another thing we want to do, if you, you might have heard of Dad Camp Ministry, uh, it's an incredible weekend event and community of fathers that are trying to get better at their dadness and loving their kids. And uh, they do these weekend events. And we want to basically completely fund a, uh, a fund for people that have a financial hindrance in their life, so they cannot take their little guy, their little girl to dad camp. So hopefully from Bridgeway, uh, we can bless them so there's nobody in our state that can't go to dad camp because of finances. We're excited about that. Uh, we're excited to partner with Family Services Association's Healthy Families Program. Allison mentioned this a little earlier, how our students are going to be uh, providing pajamas, but we want to cover that gap if our students somehow can't come up with 140 pajamas, which would be pretty impressive being like less than 20 of them to do that, right? But we want to bless the Family Services Association and make sure that they all have pajamas. The next thing we want to do is we want to help a new church plant get off the ground in a healthy way. Yeah, that's right. We're a new church plant, but we want to, from the beginning of our story, to help a new church. Uh, There's this church in Plainfield, Indiana, that you're going to hear more about next week, called Tribe Church. Matt and Carrie Dilley are the lead pastors there. They're incredible. They actually were meeting in a movie theater before COVID. That got axed pretty quick. And then they went online, and they just opened up two weeks ago this new location that they turned an old boxing gym into a church how smelly and awesome is that, right? But just like we turned a bank into a church, they turned a boxing gym into a church, but they are a little low on funding to close out the renovations. And so we want to bless them and help them along the way and help another life-giving church happen. And the last thing we wanna do is that, uh, we, as we mentioned earlier, we're starting a student ministry, but we want to help fund a launching of a legit student ministry to empower and welcome the next generation to connect with the real Jesus in our community. This was something that we were not planning on doing this early in our story, but we are so excited to start a student ministry. So we want to help fund their budget to get going uh, big and strong in 2021. How awesome is that, you guys? That's an awesome thing that we get to be a part of. And I'm telling you, we're asking everybody to join in with this offering at the end of the year. It doesn't matter if it's $20, $50. I mean, some of you guys could do a lot, a lot more, and some of us can just do a little, but the goal is us all getting together to uh, bless our community, to give hope to our community in all these awesome ways. So you're going to hear more about that the next three weeks leading up to the offering, but we are so excited about starting this new tradition at Bridgeway called Give Hope. Now, into the last week of this series that we're in called Relationship Reset, we've said that 2020 has been a pressure cooker to our most important relationships. It's revealed cracks and maybe given us some other cracks that we didn't even know were there in the first place. But we've said every single week, this truth here, that God wants your relationships to thrive even more than you do. Think about this, your heavenly father, wants your relationships not just to like be okay and just like scurry along with a limp, but he wants your relationships to thrive even more than you do. He doesn't want your relationships to just be okay. As I was planning this this week, I was reminded of these uh, AT&T commercials from a couple years ago about just okay. Check this out.
1: First tattoo? Yeah. Relax, amigo. It's going to look okay. Only okay? No worries, boss. I'm one of the tattoo artists in the city. You mean one of the best tattoo artists in the city, right? Something like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Aren't you supposed to draw it first? Stay in your lane, bro. Just okay (laughs) is not okay. I love that. Just okay is not okay. And that one's pretty funny, but this one's got to be my favorite one, especially since we're all freaked out about going to hospitals right now, right? Check out this commercial here.
1: Have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? Oh, yeah. He's okay. Just Okay. Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. <laughs> Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it
0: out. i see you in there. Just okay <laughs> is not okay. Especially- oh, that is terrifyingly hilarious, right? But here's the deal. Like, God doesn't want your relationships to just be okay. Actually, the health of your relationships, it matters to your Heavenly Father, one text from the New Testament we've looked at every single week was this interaction that Jesus had with some religious leaders uh, found in Matthew uh, chapter 22. And Jesus replies to these religious leaders who are trying to trap him in saying something uh, that could get him into trouble. They ask him what's the most important thing for people following God to do. And Jesus replied this in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Your relationships, they matter to God. When, God. when Jesus was asked what's the most important thing for us to do, it was for us to have a vertical relationship with our heavenly father and to love our neighbors and our friends and our partners and our spouses as ourselves. Those are the most important things to him. And so throughout this series, we, just to recap a little bit where we've been, we talked about the problem of disconnection that many of us have. Well, we're not really connected with people in our relationships very well. And we talked about the on-ramp to disconnection or the on-ramp from disconnection uh, to real connection is vulnerability. We talked about in our communication in our relationships how we need to sometimes just... Zip it. We need to be better listeners to each other. Last week, we talked about conflict and how conflict is a natural part of our relationships. But God doesn't call us and invite us to just be peacekeepers. He invites us to be peacemakers in our relationships. And this morning, we're going to talk about what it really means to be committed for the long haul in our relationships. And just a heads up, we're going to talk mostly about romantic relationships this morning or marriage, but lean in, listen along with us. Uh, If you're here this morning and you're single and you think someday you might want to be married, lean in if you're in the dating phase of your life or you want to be dating and you know somewhere down the road you'd like to be married. Lean in if you just want to be better at being committed to your deep friendships, to have these friendships go the long haul. So there's an honor for each and every one of us this morning as we learn what It really looks like to be committed for the long haul. And to get us going this morning, uh, I was watching a couple weeks ago. I was streaming this movie I hadn't seen since I was in college. It was called Juno. Anybody remember the movie Juno? I think it was up for some Oscars back in 2007. It's an awesome movie. It's about this uh, teenage girl, this high school girl. That her and her boyfriend get pregnant, and she thinks at one point she's going to have an abortion, go to the abortion clinic, and in this chapter of her life. But at the last minute, she decides that she's going to keep the baby and give it up for adoption. And as she's going through this journey of uh, figuring out how to be a, a teenage pregnant uh, girl, she, she discovers that all these relationships around her, they're just not working. <laughs> they're all a mess. I mean, her and her boyfriend, I mean, they weren't ready for this part of their life and their relationship is a mess. Her parents, they've been together, they're still together, but they don't really love each other. And then this adoptive couple that she thinks is gonna be a great couple for, uh, for them to raise her child, uh, she finds out that their marriage is a sham As well. And there's this really incredible heartfelt scene where she talks to her dad, who's played by J.K. Simmons, an awesome actor in the movie. And she asks her dad this question in a couple different ways. She says this, and I think it's a question that we all wonder and we consider often as well. She said, Dad, I guess I wonder sometimes if people ever stay together for good, like people in love. In other ways, she says this, Dad, I just need to know it's possible for two people to stay happy together forever you know i think we're all like juno asking this question right i mean in spite of everything we saw from our families of origin in spite of all the terrible breakups that we might have despite of all that we see in our culture we all have this longing inside of us this desire for us to have relationships friendships or romantic relationships go the distance We all envision being old together and joking about times in our past. We all envision sitting on a porch drinking sweet tea or drinking whatever you want to be drinking, just hanging out with each other as we're old and gray. None of us stand up at our marriage ceremony, at our wedding, and we say, oh, this will be good for just a couple years. No, we all have this longing and desire for our relationships to last forever. And I I just wonder, and I guess I'll put this in front of you this morning, maybe that's a little bit, of the image of God on your life, God's thumbprint on your life, this faithful love that you have desired. Because all of us, we don't wanna just fall in love. We'd love to stay in love and stay committed and happy in our relationships for the rest of our lives. And when we talk about falling in love, we don't need to spend too much time talking about falling in love, right? Because this is true. The only requirement to falling in love is a pulse. I mean, it doesn't take much for us to fall into love, to have those feelings, those butterflies of love, whether that's the first girl, the first guy in middle school who passed you the note that you thought, okay, now I'm just gonna be with this person for the rest of my life. Or maybe it was a TV show or a movie that you loved, that you fell in love with an actress or an actor. And for me, I was a child of the 90s, so I grew up watching uh, Saved by the Bell. And so for me, it was Kelly Kapowski, Kelly Kapowski, we're not, yeah, I'm telling you, right? I, I was sure it was gonna last for the long haul with Kelly Kapowski, but I was infatuated, I fell in love with that character, Kelly Kapowski. I mean, it doesn't take much for us to fall in love, but it's a different story when we talk about staying in love, right? Staying committed to each other. Because I believe this to be true, <laughs> that uh, it's never been more difficult for people to stay in love, to stay committed to each other for the long haul. And here's a couple reasons why I think it's difficult for us to stay in love, to stay committed to each other. And the first is that we didn't see it modeled to us We look at our parents, our grandparents, and maybe they split up years ago, or maybe they're together, but they are not happy. They are not in love. They've just become decent roommates. And so we see in the relationship a lot of patterns that we don't want to imitate, like passive-aggressive comments, or when they get home, they just go to their own area of the house, and just yelling when you walk in the door. There's all these different things that we feel like, man, we never even saw a great model of what a loving partnership looks like for the long haul. Another reason why it's difficult for us to stay in love today is that we weren't given the emotional tools that are required for us to stay committed to people. There was a group of psychologists, they did this big study about uh, relationships that last the long haul, and they discovered that there was a list of emotional tools that we needed to have in our family of origin so that we would be equipped to go into these long-term relationships. And it is a laundry list. We'll put this up on the screen. These are the emotional tools that scientists tell us we need to be ready for a long-term from relationship. And not just a little bit of these things, a lot of these things, respect, encouragement, comfort, security, support, acceptance, approval, appreciation, attention, and affection. We need these emotional tools so that we're ready for the long haul in our relationships. But here's what happens, you guys. We weren't given these things in large doses in our family of origin often. And so we go into a relationship looking at the person saying, hey, I like you, you're cute, and you're going to fill in the gap that of these emotional tools that I don't have anymore. So you're going to give me the rest of the respect I never got. You're going to give me the appreciation, the support, the encouragement that I never got, right? And we realized that they weren't handed those emotional tools too. So we have two people that are begging for these emotional support tools that we weren't given them in the first place. So it's hard for us to stay in love. The last reason why I think it's hard for us in our culture to stay committed to one person, to stay in love, the, the last reason I think is just, it's daunting for us, but our culture, we weren't, we're not made to deal with pain for very long. We have a low threshold for pain. <laughs> Where we think, okay, we just got in this big fight, so apparently I picked the wrong person, so I need to go find another person. Or things aren't working really great for a week or so, so we're just going to jet, we're going to get out of it. Because we do not have a high threshold for pain in our relationships, and we think we just didn't find the one, (laughs) So it's never been harder for us in our culture to stay in love, to stay committed to one person because of these factors. And let me just do a little sidebar here. Maybe you're here uh, watching us online, and for you, you're in a situation where there's abuse. There's something more sinister at work here, whether it be verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse in a relationship. And we're talking about like the the garden variety kind of conflict and mess in relationships. I'm not talking about those things. So if that's you, please hear me because I care about you. And I want to let you know that you should get out. You should talk to somebody so that you can make an exit out of that relationship. You do not need to stay there at all. If you're in some situation of abuse, please get out. Reach out to us if we can help in any way either. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about this morning is this this conflict that we might have falling out of this feeling of love, and that's why we don't stay committed to one another. So what I want to do is I want to take us to the person of Jesus. That's what we like to do at Bridgeway, right? We want to look at the person of Jesus. We want to see how he offers us a new way to be human, a different way to walk forward. We're gonna spend some time this morning in the gospel of John. Uh, John was Jesus, his closest friend, the beloved disciple, his best friend. And he actually, near the end of his life, he wrote down all these eyewitness accounts, things that he saw in Jesus' teaching and in Jesus' life. And it's recorded for us in the New Testament called the gospel of John. And in John chapter 13, Jesus explains the antidote to our commitment problems. He explains to us the antidote um, to us not staying with one person for us wanting to push the eject button in our relationships. Jesus, in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, he says this first. He says, a new command I give you. Now this is him beginning this teaching, a new command I give you. And this was a large statement in and of itself, you guys, because Jesus' closest friends, the crowd around him, they were all Jewish people, and they had a lot of commands, a lot of things they were supposed to do, right? I mean, they had not only the 10 commandments, the big 10, they had the rest of the Levitical laws in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, then this thing called the Midrash that were all these laws on top of laws. There were 613 different commands in all all that they were supposed to do. And so Jesus says, A new command I give you. I imagine that Peter, who is always like, you know, putting his foot in his mouth, he's probably whispering to another one of the disciples, being like, Seriously, Jesus? Another command? A new command? We need 614? Like, what are you talking about? A new command? Okay, I'll, I guess I'll listen in just a little bit, but this is a little ridiculous. But what Jesus says about this new command, this, you guys, is, it might sound too simple, but it is the antidote to our commitment problems. <laughs> Jesus says, a new command I give you, here it is, love one another. Maybe you're joining us online and you're like, "Uh, seriously, Joel, you did not study very hard for this message at all. Like, that's too (laughs) simple. That is not in any way, shape, or form helpful. Stay with me here. Stay with me here. Because what Jesus does here is he takes the word love that we often use as a noun and he changes it grammatically to a verb. Often we talk about love like it's a feeling that we have, like we fall into it, like we might fall into a pool or fall into our bed after a long day at work. But Jesus, he turns it from being a noun into a verb. He says, no, a new command I give you, love, action, verb, one another, (laughs) And then he qualifies what this love is really like. And he, he actually puts some of his skin in the game here. And he, he ends this sentence saying, a new command I give you, love one another. And he says this, love this way, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, he says, in your relationships, take your cue from me, the one who died for you. Don't take your cue from culture. Don't take your uh, view or your cue from your parents, your family of origin, or your TV shows. Don't take it from Ross and Rachel, or if you go back to the 80s, Sam and Diane, or uh, in the greatest show of all time, The Office. Uh, Don't take it from Jim and Pam, not even Jim and Pam. No, take your cue from the one who died for you. Love each other, action, verb, love each other the way that I did. (laughs) To offer yourself, to lower yourselves for the other. And so here's the big idea, and this might sound too simplistic, but we're going to put some teeth on it, so stick with me. Here's the big idea. We'll put this up on the screens. To stay in love, you've got to make love, awkward, long pause, a verb, right? To stay in love, you've got to make love a verb. Don't let it be a noun, but you've got to make love a verb, action, verb, love each other. That's how we stay committed. That's how we move forward for the long haul is that we've got to action, verb, love each other more often in the ways that our partners and our spouses need it. Now, hear hear me on this. A lot of times we say to ourselves, well, I'm just not feeling love anymore, and so that's why I'm not staying committed, but Jesus is turning it on its head, and he's saying, no, you need to action verb love each other, act in ways that they receive love to them, and then those feelings are going to happen. (laughs) The action comes before the feelings. It's not the feelings and then falling into the action To stay in love, we need to make love a verb. Now, years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, a guy named Paul, who was going around the ancient world planning churches and helping churches learn how they can follow Jesus, he wrote to a church in Corinth that was a hot mess, you guys. And in the chapter 13, he wrote about the the strongest, most powerful action on planet Earth. Love, And you might have heard this passage at your wedding. Maybe it's the last time you heard it or maybe at a wedding that you attended or a Zoom wedding that you like scoped into during this pandemic. But this, this passage is gritty. It's powerful. It's hands dirty, action verb kind of love. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He describes this love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or get jealous. It does not boast or brag. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. How dare we take a passage like this of truth and make it an airy-fairy love is a feeling that we can fall into or fall out of? No, it's so much more powerful than this. And Paul is saying it's the most noble, beautiful, powerful thing on planet earth. See how action-oriented so much of this description of love is? Even the words that might not feel too action-oriented, what I have highlighted here, always trusts, always hopes. Those feel like things in our mind, right? but they're actually action underneath these things. Marcus Buckingham, who is a leadership expert, who's written uh, to the business world and to the nonprofit world for many years, he wrote a book called The One Thing You Need to Know. And in the very beginning of this book, uh, there was this study done of good marriages and bad marriages. And so they saw all the bad mar- marriages, they saw all the mess that was in it, uh, but they what they... Uh, When they looked at the good marriages, they made an assumption about the good marriages, that the secret sauce of these good, satisfying marriages was that they had an intimate, each person had an intimate knowledge of their partner's strengths and weaknesses. They thought that's what's really going to make these good marriages satisfying emotionally these marriages. But they discovered that wasn't true at all. (laughs) They discovered that what actually made a good marriage is what they called benevolent distortions about the other partner in the relationship. Positive illusions or these delusions that they were trying to make a positive word around. That's what they had towards each other. In other words, they would rate, each person in this study would rate their partner on different uh, characteristics like good driver, great cook, great listener, an incredible friend and partner. They would rate themselves on this, but then they would rate each other on these scales as well. And they found in the good, healthy, satisfying relationships, the partners would always rate the other higher than they would rate themselves. So he's me if your wife or your husband's a good driver, you might rate yourself as a driver is five, but they rate you as an eight. And this happened over and over and over again. Do you see what's happening here? Each person in these healthy relationships, they're filling in the gap between what's true and what might not be true, where there could be suspicion or doubt or anger. They're filling in the gap with trust with hope, with believing in the other person. So even in this description of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, always trust, always hopes, these are action, verb things that we can do that change our relationships. To stay in love, we've got to learn to make love a verb in our relationships, to give it teeth, to give it its gritty power. The same John who recorded this gospel, these eyewitness accounts about Jesus, again, he was writing a letter to a group of early Jesus followers, and he says this in 1 John 3, 16, and then verse 18. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Again, here's this beautiful idea that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to, you're invited into this life of not just talking about love, but demonstrating it with your actions. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to give us a little bit of a thought experiment here, let you understand a tool that's been helpful in my marriage and in my life um, to help us love each other better. Because here's the reality. Uh, In your marriage, in your dating relationship, uh, in your family relationships, in your work relationships, everybody has a unique way in which they receive love. And it's often different than the way that you receive and accept love from people. So there's this pastor, this author, this researcher by the name of Gary Chapman. And about 20 years ago, he wrote this book called The Five Love Languages. And he simplified it and said that most people actually receive love in five different ways. And we need to learn how our partners partners receive love so that we can, action verb, love them so that we can grow in our relationship. So I want to walk through the five love languages here. And the first love language that I want to talk about is quality time. Many of us, we experience and we receive love from our partners when we get quality time with them. I mean, nothing says, I love you. Like, I just wanna be with you and you alone, and it doesn't matter what else we're doing. Undivided presence and attention, no phones, no distractions. That's how you feel love if your uh, love language is quality time. I mean, for you, it might be going for a walk with them, having an in-depth conversation with them, watching a movie or working through a show that you're streaming together. And this is what feels like love. You know what feels hurtful to people that um, have quality time as their love language when you're just scrolling on your phone when you're sitting right next to them? Or you can be present in the same room with them, but you're really not there with them. That feels hurtful. That's like daggers to their heart and their soul. But some people, they need quality time. That is how they experience love. So if that is you this morning, whether you're sitting on a couch at home or still laying in bed, here's what we're gonna do to practice this. Just for the next five seconds, stare into your partner's eyes and have quality time with them. We'll wait, we'll wait five seconds. Oh, that was awkwardly beautiful, right? That's how we experience quality time and connection with people. The next uh, love language that many of us receive love uh, in this way is receiving gifts. This isn't a materialistic thing where somebody needs to get a new purse or in my case, a new guitar, wink, wink, uh, every couple months or anything like that. That was a joke, Megan. But some of us, we, we receive gifts because it's the thought behind the action of getting the gift that really means so much. The act of giving a gift says that I see you. I know what you love. I know what lightens your load. I know what makes you feel special. And there's the thought behind this gift is why I'm giving it to you. Maybe for you, it's, it's purchasing a favorite treat or when somebody purchases a favorite treat for you or when something is purchased in your favorite color, it doesn't really matter what it is, but the thought behind that matters. Unexpected gifts of flowers just because it's Wednesday or something like that. Uh, those things mean so much to them. You know what really hurts people that have receiving gifts is their love language when you forget a birthday, an anniversary, when you just don't think about those things at all. So to practice this, this, this morning, just to practice this love language, if this is you, uh, I guess if you're at home, hand them your cell phone, which is like the most priceless thing for so many of you. Hand it to them and say, this is a gift for you. Unless you're watching on your phone, that makes things really awkward there. Okay, the next love language I want to talk about is acts of service. When somebody does an act of service to you, anybody out there, acts of service, people, right? I mean, nothing sets your love engines on fire, like, I'll clean up dinner, right? Or let me mow the yard. I'll do the laundry. Or maybe you don't even have to say it. You just do it, which you get extra brownie points for that, right? I mean, you're saying in this act of service, uh, let me lighten your load. I appreciate you and all that you do. That's what you're saying with these acts of service, right? I mean, I'll tell you what really hurts people that have acts of service as their love language, laziness, or assuming that the other person will do it because they always do it and just hang around, <laughs> So here to practice this next one, we're actually going to pause the service for about 15 minutes. Uh, go uh, go change a load of laundry, or go wash the, your partner's car in the garage. We can make that happen. The weather's perfect for washing cars today, right? <laughs> we're going to wait 15 minutes, right? Okay, just kidding. All right, the next one is this words of affirmation. Now, this might sound like just words, but it's actually a powerful action. <laughs> Some people receive love through words of affirmation, unsolicited compliments like, I love you, like you're an amazing cook, you're so funny, but not said sarcastically, right? Or something like, dang, you look good today. Something like that might work too. But words of affirmation that are unsolicited compliments, they mean so much to them. You know what really hurts people, It's daggers to their heart and soul um, if they speak this love language? Oh, when you just you know insult them or you have these negative comments that you're saying, no, they're just jokes. No, they're like hateful daggers to their heart. And let me just say, guys, if you're anything like me, we stink at this. We like receiving compliments sometimes, but like, we feel so awkward opening ourselves up to give compliments. We need to get better at this. So if you are sitting next to your special, someone this morning uh, at home on the couch or uh, Laying in bed, things are getting a little awkward if you're still laying in bed and we're talking about this. But look them in the eyes and just tell them, you're awesome, you are awesome. Or something else special and much more thought out than you're awesome, right? But words of affirmation matters so much. Here's the last one we've gotta talk about, physical touch. Some people receive love, they hear love, experience love through physical touch. And hear me, this is not just about what happens in the bedroom, it's not just about sex at all. This is about intimacy, So some of that might receive love through physical touch, hugs or embraces, they really deeply matter to them. Holding hands, a kiss before you leave for work or right when you get home, uh, arriving home from work or a kiss goodnight, it matters so much to them. Uh, Holding hands, closeness on the couch, even just sitting next to each other instead of sitting far away from each other on the couch, these things help. So if you're sitting next to that person, let's not get weird, just give them a high five. Can we do that? If we can just do that this morning. Here's the reality with all five of these love languages. In my years of doing premarital counseling and just being married for almost 11 years now, um, I've just determined that most of the time, two people that get together, they don't speak the same love language. You need to learn the love language of your partner. A lot of times you are not wired to connect with them in the same way. They might have a different love language than you have. And for example, in my marriage, uh, my wife, Megan, her love language is receiving gifts and mine is quality time. And so when I was much younger and more immature, I'd look at her and I'd just be like, oh, you just must be materialistic because you like receiving gifts. And she looked at me and she was just like, you just want to sit around just the two of us all the time. We had to learn how to speak each other's love language and how to bend towards each other. And not just to say that we're in love with each other, but to love each other by bending towards them. That is how you stay in love, is by making love a verb. Dr. John Gottman, Uh, he is a researcher, probably the world's most uh, known marriage uh, researcher and counselor. And I wanna show you this video of how he describes exactly what Jesus was saying about making love a verb, being the antidote to all of our relationship issues. So check out this short video.
1: Shakespeare compared love to a rose. Gottman uses a different metaphor, an emotional bank account. You know how a regular bank account works, so what's an emotional bank account? It represents the positive and negative balance in your relationship. The best couples maintain a high balance. Couples that break up are often in the red. You make deposits through positive interactions and you withdraw through negative ones. What does a deposit look like? It's a simple act of showing your partner that you care for and support them. It's as easy as sending your partner a good luck text before a meeting or cooking them dinner after a long day. And pay attention when your partner shows you their admiration and support. Notice when they're investing in your relationship. Thank you. A withdrawal is either hurtful behavior toward your partner or ignoring their invitations to connect. But withdrawals and deposits don't have equal weight. In fact, Gottman found it takes five positive interactions to make up for one negative one. Happy couples maintain at least this five to one ratio. If you make constant deposits and keep your balance high, you're saving up for a rainy day when you'll need to cash in on that goodwill. Gottman notes that small daily deposits, like asking your partner how their day was, is far more important than the occasional over-the-top romantic gesture. Positivity leads to more positivity. This is not about keeping score. It's about investing in your relationship and your shared emotional bank account, moving from me to we. So keep your balance high by doing nice things every day and recognizing when your partner does them for you. You'll build up that emotional bank account in no time.
0: I love that so much for so many reasons, but one reason why I love it is that we see that the science and research it actually echoes exactly what Jesus was teaching. It echoes what Paul was teaching about what love was. It echoes this, this command and this invitation that we have to make love a verb in our lives and in our closest relationships. And Another thing I love about this is that this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Let's look at that passage in 1 John one more time. John says this, this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Not that Jesus wrote to us about it, not that he uh, just talked to us about it. No, that he laid down his life. Action verb loved us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So I thought there was no better way to end this series, to end this morning, uh, than by just talking about this idea that Jesus goes first in this. Jesus put his love, his life, his blood on the line to show us that we were valued, that he loved us, and that he was faithful to the end of inviting us, making a bridge to us so that we can have a relationship with him. And we take our cue from that kind of love this morning. So I thought there's no better way to end this series as we're talking about this kind of Action, love that Jesus gave us than by taking communion together. And this is the first time that we've taken communion since we actually launched as a church, and here we are uh, doing it in hundreds of locations this morning. So, as Allison mentioned earlier, uh, go ahead and grab uh, whatever you're using for the bread and grab whatever you're using for the cup this morning. I joked earlier, if you're using wine, it's a little early in the day for that, but I see you're just being faithful to the New Testament text, right? Uh, But anyway, so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his closest friends, people he traveled with and walked life with. And they were having this meal, remembering God's faithfulness in the Old Testament, old times. But something incredible happened. Jesus flipped the scripts and he said, no, uh, this bread, this drink, is, it's not just remembering old times anymore. No, this is about a new thing that I'm doing through giving up my life for you. He said, when you drink this, Or when you eat this bread, remember that my body is broken for you. And this is a sign of a new covenant, a new deal I'm making with humankind, saying that you can be in a relationship with me by remembering my sacrifice for you. And he took the cup, he took the wine, he took the drink, and he said, remember, whenever you have this, remember that it's my blood that was spilt for you. To be a mark of a new covenant based on my faithful love to you. Faithful love that went all the way to death on earth said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming, you're declaring, you're stating that Jesus died for you until he comes again. So in these next moments, uh, we invite you to take the bread and remember his broken body for you. We invite you on your own to take the cup and remember his blood that was spilled for you so that you could experience his love, so you could be brought into his family. Let's also remember this clarion call that Jesus gives us (laughs) to love one another like he loved us in our relationships, in our co-working relationships, our families, our, um, our spouses and our marital relationships or our partners. We're called to love like Jesus loved us. Let's be people that do that this morning. And the band, we're gonna sing this song, Build My Life. Let us at Bridgeway be a group of people that we build our lives on nothing less than the love of Jesus, that it just overflows from our lives into all of our relationships. Let's be a group of people like that. Let's remember him through uh, taking communion together and singing from wherever you are this morning. Let's do this.